0: side—that's not a time side. That's a—that's a godly man's side. Good morning. Good morning. Rise and shine, everybody. Well, what a beautiful day the Lord has given us. Amen. We get to rejoice and be glad in it. If you're here to Calvary Chapel for the very first time, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Happy you came and. Uh, before we get to announcements, if you have forgotten your Bible, just raise your hand. The usher will be happy to make sure you have a Bible in hand as we go verse-by-verse verse teaching in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we'll be picking back up for uh, for those, if you're here for the first time, we'll be picking back up here in uh, verse fifth, uh, chapter 15. Just a few verses, a few whew, announcements here. Let's get straight here. It's going to be a challenge Hey, um, don't forget the first Sunday of each month, we're starting back up Koinonia night. So tonight is Koinonia night from 4 to 6 p.m. Tonight we decided we're going to have the old-fashioned Labor Day kind of barbecue with no barbecue because it's kind of cold. So we're going to have pizza and hot dogs and uh, and a good healthy salad for those who really need to have the healthy salad. So that will be provided tonight, 4 to 6 uh, some big announcements tonight for the family, uh, if you're here and this is the place that God has called you to be, uh, it's family night tonight, Koinonia, so come uh, join with us and we'll be updating you on some of the things that are going on behind the scenes administratively uh, with the Globe and some other big news uh, that uh, Lord has um, um, shocked and surprised us here this week with and we're going to update you on that, so please join us this evening if you can. Also, right after the uh uh right after service for those who are uh greeters and ushers or would believe that God has called them or put on your heart to be an usher or a greeter, we'll have a meeting right after here it's not going to be this first room but the second room uh, and we'll meet in there. Just give us a few minutes just you know fellowship a little bit, and then we'll have our meeting in there and we'll do a little bit of updates and some uh some uh, meeting and greeting on th- that kinds of things. Um, the other thing that I want to make sure we highlight is the ladies Bible study is starting back up with a new study of First Peter, the joyful life study, First Peter. Uh, there's two, uh, they meet on Tuesdays at two different times. Uh, you can do a m- Tuesday morning from 9:30 to 11:30, and there is child care or what, you know, for a lot of homeschoolers, we set it up so the homeschooling can still happen in here while the ladies are there and there's someone watching over and making sure that happens. And If you have the younger kids, they watch them in the nursery kind of a thing so the ladies can come. And have that time of lady study. And then there's a 6.30 to 8.30 uh, p.m. So ladies, if you want to leave the kids with with the husbands, the fathers, that's a great thing too. And you can get away and come at 6.30 to 8.30 but there's no child care uh, in the evening session but right here at the church starting this Tuesday 5 September if you have any questions see Kathleen they do a study and out there on the information desk you grab your study even if you don't have time between now and then it's okay come bring your study you can still go through the ladies bible Study, even if you haven't completed it and it's been a crazy week you just still come for that fellowship and time being the word and as we share and, and talk about the scriptures uh, it's a it's a wonderful time men meet on Thursday nights at 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 630. Um, They continue to be through the Proverbs with uh, Pastor Rich. So 630 on Thursday nights for men here uh, at the church. Uh, We're updating our meals ministry. So if you're interested in the meals ministry, see Kathleen or the information desk out there. Put your information on there. We'll follow up with you regarding the meals ministry. We're just updating that. And lastly, we have, uh, we do Operation Christmas Child. We're coming close to that already. I know it's hard to believe Uh, we're in September. But uh, school supplies and games were the month of September. You bring them, you just put them in the box. Uh, We found a Kmart was going out of uh, closing today, and they had a lot of great things on sale. So we got a Whole bunch of stuff for uh, great uh, for putting in the boxes. So what will happens as we get closer? Obviously, you as a family are doing your own box or or more in the one box if you choose. But we gather things through the year we come together, whoever would like to come help, we actually get together and actually build boxes from all these things we gather and we just have a nice sweet time together and just have fun and, and whoever's interested in doing that. And I love that because the kids get involved. So kids are really the ones that are going through the line and putting the boxes together. Uh, us guys, we just sit back and have a cup of coffee and, and, and encourage and watch all the kids have fun uh, packing the boxes. Uh, I think that's all the announcements we'll do right here, but we do still have two or three minutes here. I want to pray. Today is the National Day of Prayer. The president asked for prayer because of our our brothers and sisters and, and those who are uh, around through uh, Houston, Texas, and Louisiana is are suffering. Um, we're watching in many, many Calvary chapels, the Calvary Chapel of Houston. Many Calvaries are have deployed people. Uh, a lot of uh, are part of uh, some... Uh, the uh, Billy Graham um, uh, Association chaplaincy that has been uh, raised up. I did that many for many years uh, before we came up and started the new work here. And I know d- in due time we'll start training up chaplains to go out and during these kinds of emergencies around the United States and the world. So uh, if you're interested in those kinds of things, let me know because we plug into some uh, large Calvary Chapel out of Philadelphia. And, uh, and that's where we get deployed out. We can go and help in those kinds of things. I still remember today going to Virginia Tech and being one of the counselors within the first couple of days and uh, watching God move in that type of crisis there at that uh, university. And it's just uh, we know God can use that in so many places. And, and our brothers and sisters are being deployed out down there. And, and just to watch the, the love between Uh, the God's people are doing a work out there that's being a a tremendous light and we can see that even on the media it's which is amazing to me that uh, you can see the love of Christ working through the people so let's pray for that and we'll get into our study father again we thank you and praise you for this day you've given us we rejoice in this we do pray for the people of Texas and especially Houston area many of us probably have and we do have loved ones and friends and family lord just use them equip them empower them by your holy spirit to do that tremendous work that they'd be strong and of good courage lord that you would send them out empower them and equip them and and resource them lord to help the people in need especially those who have no hope in you and that they've just lost their material wealth that they were trusting in. And, and all the things they had and that they could see. And it's all gone now, Lord. And they have no hope. May you just bring your people in there to share the gospel. To share the good news. That the hope is in you. Not of this world. Not the cares of this world. And the things that we touch and feel and drive and we live in. But we put our hope and trust in you. And we just send them, Lord. In a most powerful way. That your light will be so bright that darkness cannot be, not but only be moved away, and that your love will fill that place in the south. Lord, we can intercede here by lifting our requests to you and intercede for those in need. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would please open up your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are going to be picking back up in verse 12. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Having dealt with a number of problems... The Corinthian church were having some serious problems. We dealt with many of those problems that were written to Paul to address, and here he is addressing them in 1 Corinthians. And a lot of them were dealing with what should take place and when they worship and come together to worship God. Last week, we started in chapter 15, we see the last item being addressed by Paul in 1 Corinthians, but it is a doctrinal foundational item that he is going to a subject he's going to address and that is around the, rec- the resurrection and because what was happening is in in the Corinth church they were happening was people believed that uh, Jesus was raised from the dead and he was alive but they didn't believe that we our bodies would be resurrected They allowed the culture to seep into the church in regards to that Greek culture that didn't believe in that, but also the Sadducees also did not believe, the Jewish leaders did not believe in the resurrection, and that was creeping back into the church and swaying and making that church weak and causing confusion and problems, and it was starting to shake the foundation of their faith, and that because the gospel is complete, the full gospel must be the fact that Jesus... Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried for three days. And on the third day, he was resurrected from the dead. And he is alive today. That is the full gospel. That is what we share. That's what gives us hope. Apart from that, just, oh, yeah, Jesus died for you. And that people stopped were there. Or people say, yeah, Jesus died and he was in the tomb and he was buried. And people stopped there. But that is not where our hope is. Our hope is in the fact that it's, he's resurrected from the dead. Okay, he's living. Our God lives. Do you know how many religious gurus and gods and false gods that are still dead? They were alive at one point, did a lot of great teaching and people. A lot of people followed them, but they're dead. Those dead gods, those false be- teachers and everything, they're dead. They're not going to help you. But we have a living God who sits at the right hand of the Father who intercedes for you and I. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. And so Paul is passionate in the scriptures as he's passionate in writing back to these Corinthian believers. Remember, he spent a year and a half starting that church and helping them understand who Jesus Christ is and what it means to have a a relationship with him, not a religion And it's not a social club as we learned last week. We're here because we have a relationship with Jesus Almighty and we gather together to worship our living God. That's it. We don't gather together for a social club. We don't come here just so we can get something from someone else. We gather here to give, not not to receive. We receive from God. We don't receive from one another except the love of God and how God leads us to help and minister to one another. And so he showed us historical facts that you cannot argue the fact that he, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Over 500 people saw him personally. You only need one or two witnesses in the trial system to have a, you know, two or more witnesses, and you're okay. He had over 500 to show that he was alive. So he, here Paul is passionate saying, Come on, brothers and sisters. How can you be swaying from the truth here? How can you sit there and say, yes, you know, you believe Jesus was raised from the dead. But how can you now say that we're not going to be resurrected? There are we're not going to receive a new body in heaven and we're going to have. Are you kidding me? Why are you swaying from this truth? And it's by the grace of God, if you remember last week, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul gave the entire, the fact that the grace of God, all the credit for the change in his life. He didn't take any credit. He was a changed man. He was a forgiven man. He was a cleansed man. He was full of love. And when he used, he used to be full of hate, if you remember. He used to kill Christians. And now he just has a love for the people. He knew this was not his, his own accomplishment, but it was the work of the grace of God in and through him. Can't take credit for what God is doing in your life. And the grace of God that saves us also changes us. Grace changed Paul, and he was just just sharing, God has changed me radically. That relationship makes all the difference in in one's life. And if it's not the grace of God that has come in and changed you, then you won't see change. But if you have the grace of God and you have been regenerated, you have been saved, there will be a changed life and he will do the change. You can't do it. You can't earn it. You can't manipulate it. You can't, I'm going to be like the little train that goes up the hill. I can, I can, I know I can. No, let him do the work through and through your life. The changes don't come all at once. All the changes are not complete until we pass into the next life in within the arms of Jesus, but we are indeed changed. Titus 2 Verses 11 through 14, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. It is the grace of God, my brothers and sisters. How do we respond to that gospel message? How do we respond to that good news? Do we trust by faith that Jesus Christ is the way? Do you believe that you can only be saved by putting your trust in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Romans 10.9-10 If you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you believe that? Do you trust with all of your heart and mind soul and strength? Matthew 12:30 He who is not with me is against me and he who goes and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. And so we remember the fact that you are for Jesus or you're against Jesus. There is no neutrality, my brothers and sisters. You can't live in the the shades of gray. You're for him or you're against him. So you can't play games with that. It's your life depends upon it. And so you're not going to hear fluff and and seeker-friendly kind of words from me if you've been with me long enough. You know I'm just going to tell you the flat out the way it is because it's scriptural, it's truth. I'm not going to tell you anything other than that. But the full gospel impact is one's life is evident. There's such evidence when you have trusted in the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for your sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he was, ro- he was raised from the dead by the Heavenly Father himself. According to the scriptures. That's the impact of the full gospel. Today we're going to see, we're just warming up here. (laughs) Today we're going to see Christ's resurrection impact even fuller. He's going to continue on the subject or in the context of the resurrection and follow along here with me, please. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So he went from the historical evidence to a logical evidence here. He's going to go through some logical questions he's going to ask you. And you're going to have to be tested. Do you believe? This is how you understand this. Because why why did Paul so carefully prove the resurrection of Jesus? It wasn't because the Corinthian Christians did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, he even said back in verse 11 of 15, you do believe. You did. So we preached, and so you believed. He said you received it, you, re- you took it on, you believed it, it changed your life. So why is Paul having to then bring about this, this subject matter again? It's because that it wasn't a, really the a fact that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. It was the fact that they didn't believe that we would be resurrected, that we would be given a new life, a new body. That's the part that they started to walk away from. They were that. That's but that's the foundation that we believe in. That's our hope we've, that we put in. But the Greek culture and the Jewish culture started to to. Come into the church and change the church versus the church going out and changing the culture. And you and Noah and I know we're equipped here to go out and be lights and salt for the world because they're lost. Remember when we were blind, we were amazing grace. We were, we were lost, now found. We were blind, now see. We didn't understand spiritual things. We let the world and our flesh completely just, just distort what was reality and truth, what God had founded from the beginning. And so, out of love for people who are lost and blind and and going and, and they're spiraling out of control, and they don't even know it. God is taking us to go out and share the love of God with them, so that they have hope for eternity. That they have lives today to have hope, and not be living in hopelessness. And if people say, "Well, that's not happy," well, look at the news. Look at the division that's going on in this country and around the world. Look at the hatred. Do you think that is what God had planned? No, that is Satan to the pure core of it. And that's why we need to go out and continue, regardless of how we feel or what goes on or if they receive or not, we continue to share the good news because we've been saved. We've been set free. How can we be so selfish not to go share it with other people so they can be set free? course not. We're going to go out and share. But the bottom line is the Corinthian Christians believed but not in the resurrected bodies that we would have hope in. Remember the resurrection is not merely life after death. It is the continuation of life after after death and glorified bodies, which are body, present bodies in a glorified state. That is what a resurrection means. That house, the, the Corinthians did not care, really think and carefully think through what they were doing, the fact that they were starting to put away or put aside or disregard the truth that somehow in some way that our bodies would be resurrected, like Jesus was resurrected in a new state. Our bodies brought into a glorious state in the presence of God and he, they started putting that away that principle of a resurrection and but that's going to be important as Paul continues here logically that if you start putting that aside your whole foundation of your relation with Christ will start coming unraveled it's going to start to becoming on sh- very shaky grounds for you and verse 14 uh, verse 13 but if there is no resurrection of the dead then Christ is not risen that means if he has not raised from the dead, that means Jesus is still dead. That's what that means. And that it's, so Paul is saying, is that really what you're saying, people? If you start not believing the resurrection, then you at this point, your logic is telling me you believe that Jesus is still dead. Well, oh, no, Jesus is not dead. Well, but that's your logic. If you take there's no resurrection, then that means he's still dead. Verse 14, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. See, if there's no resurrection, then Jesus is not risen. Then Paul and other apostles who are out there preaching this truth, this this foundation, did it all in vain. It's all emptiness. It's all worthless of everything they were doing. Everything you believe, it's worthless. It had no value in what they were doing. That's what Paul is saying to So if there's no real resurrection, Jesus in whom we serve, then guess what? All that we've been doing is in vain. This is just a waste of time. Verse 15, and yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he was, he, he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead did not rise for if the dead did not rise, then Christ is not risen. See, there is if, if there is no principle of resurrection, there is no such thing, and that's what was going on into the church. Then, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then the apostles are liars; they're false witness people. These, you know, that's what's saying. I'm sitting out there preaching the truth that Jesus was raised from the dead, and that we have the hope and the promise for the future of being in, and be resurrected as well. Well, if that was not true, then we are out there just liars across the board. We're being false witnesses of God, and there's consequences to that. That's serious, is what you're saying. He's Paul is saying to him. Your logic is serious here of, of what you're telling about the apostles. Then he says in verse 17: And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So, hey? it's not true, it's empty. It's been a waste of time. You're a false teacher. You're out there lying and and telling things that are not true. But it also means you are still in your sins. That means you are still going to pay for your sins. You're going to die for your sins. That means you're not forgiven. That's what it means when you say, oh, I don't believe any of this thing about we're going to be resurrected from the dead. And we're going into the arms of Jesus and receive new body. I don't believe that. Then you believe that you're going to pay for the penalty of your sins because you have not been forgiven. That's the logic that Paul is saying to you and I and to the Corinthian believers at that time. It doesn't make sense. And so what happens is, from a logical perspective, follow along with this. If there's no principle of resurrection, then Jesus did not raise from the dead. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, then then death has power over Jesus and defeated him. He did not have victory then. And if death has power over Jesus, he is not God then. If Jesus is not God, he cannot offer a complete sacrifice for your sins and my sins. If Jesus cannot offer a complete sacrifice of sins, our sins are not completely paid for by God. And then if our sins are not completely paid for by God, then I'm still in my sins. Therefore, if Jesus has not risen, he is unable to save you. Do you understand that, my brothers and sisters? That's the logic. When you start peeling off and you find what's going on around our brothers and sisters in some religions, they're starting to peel off with the foundations of the truth and know what happens. It leads them to these consequences. That's why we can't compromise the word of God. That's why we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. No one can skip around. We get the full counsel of God. Because if you don't, People leave out key things that can justify them to peel off off the way from the truth. And that really is very, very saddened. Verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, have perished. That's even worse still. These people have died and, they're going, died and they've gone to hell because there is no saving them. All that was just all lies. That's even worse because those who were perished, this no principle of resurrection, then the dead in Christ are gone forever. There's no hope for them. And that means I, you, are on the path to hell still with all of our sins in tow for eternity and be separated from God. That's what that means. Verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, all, we are of all men the most pitiable, or most miserable. See, even worst of all, it, gets, it even gets worse. If there is no principle of resurrection, then the whole Christian life is just a pitiful joke. It's a miserable life that we're doing. If we don't have something behind this life to look forward to, why hassle with the problems of being a Christian? Paul is saying, of everything I've gone through, I'm just living a pitiful life. I'm just living a joke. Because if this is not true, you think I would live a life that I've been living? Do you think I would put up with the mocking and everything else of being a Christian from non-believers? It would be a joke for us. Because it is true that being a Christian solves many problems for you and I. Putting our trust in Jesus solves a lot of problems. But it also brings many other problems. As, like the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes saw little ultimate value in life if there is only this life to live if this is the only life there is to live that there is no hope for a future how pitiful and empty that is that it is it is true that knowing jesus and loving jesus can make this life better but sometimes it can make the life even worse ask paul Paul had everything. He was a religious leader. He had everything. Power, position, money, prestige. As a religious leader in the Jewish faith, he had Pharisees of Pharisees. He had everything for him. And walking away from that Jewish faith and starting to believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, he lost everything. His wealth Every family, everything. We can see the scripture, everything. And he almost died more times than you can imagine. But Paul knew the truth. He saw the risen Lord. He saw Jesus in his resurrected state, and he was called by Jesus, and he knew it, and he couldn't deny it. His life was changed. He wasn't about to say, no, there's no Jesus, when he knew for a fact without a doubt in his mind. See how important the truth of the resurrection is? This is not some side doctrine or some doctrine you can kind of, oh, we can agree to disagree on. To believe or not to believe. See, if you do not believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead in the resurrected body the way the Bible says he did, then you have no right to call yourself a Christian, period. It's foundational, my brothers and sisters. It's foundational. This is the one essential doctrines of the Christian faith. Let me give you some things for you. Pencil pusher, note taker, students here. Go back today and read Romans 1-4. That's the divinity of Jesus rests on the resurrection of Jesus. The divinity, who Jesus is, the Son of God, rests, read Romans 1-4. The sovereignty of Jesus rests on the resurrection of Jesus. Go back and read Romans 14-9. Our justification, like we've never sinned before, we've been justified, is rests on the resurrection of Jesus, and you can read that in Romans 4.25. Our regeneration, that change of heart, that complete change of life, it rests on the resurrection of Jesus. Go back and read 1 Peter 1.3. And our ultimate resurrection... To in, in to be in God's presence and have the resurrected bodies rests on the resurrection of Jesus, and you can go back and read Romans eight eleven, for that to hold on to. You must know the scriptures. You must hold on to those, and you must use that to empower you to drive forward in your walk as a Christian. Because days are coming. When we will be persecuted here in this United States. We see our brothers at different times being persecuted. But our brothers and sisters are being beheaded overseas. Why would they be willing to sit there on their knees and be beheaded for their faith? Because they know it is true. That is why they're willing to be killed for their faith. Verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. See, in the previous part of the chapter, Paul demonstrated beyond all doubt that Jesus rose from the dead and the importance of that fact. And here he simply states the fact, now Jesus is risen from the dead. That's truth, that's fact, that's not negotiable. And because of that, He's the first fruits. He sets the pace. He's the leader. He goes forward and for all of those, even those who had died prior to him going uh, to the cross and dying and resurrected, he then led them out of the graves, remember, and received them with all joy. Jesus Jesus was the first fruits. We see it out of the Old Testament. The offering of those first fruits brought this this sheaf of grain to present and, and anticipate the rest of the harvest. And you can go back and read Leviticus 23, verses 9 through 14. And the resurrection of Jesus represents our resurrection because if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And you can see that out of Romans chapter 6, verse 5. He's the first fruits. He sets the page. He gives us the hope and the anticipation of what will happen for you and I. The resurrection of Jesus also anticipates our resurrection. Because we will be raised with a body like his. That's truth. That's scriptural. That's what we believe. Now his death and resurrection took place, his resurrection, on the Feast of First Fruits, if you remember. And if you want to go back and read about the Feast of First Fruits, go back to Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 through 14 and you will see that the feast of first fruits was observed on the day after the sabbath following the passover and that is significant for you and i because jesus rose from the dead on the exact day of the feast of first fruits the day after the sabbath following the passover he was fulfillment he's the first fruits for you and i he, god talked about it in the old testament said this was what's going to happen the messiah would come here and it's exactly what happened prophecy was fulfilled the offering at the first fruits, feast of first fruits was a bloodless grain offering in Leviticus 2. There was no atoning for sacrifice was necessary because the Passover lamb has been had just been sacrificed. And so this corresponds perfectly with the resurrection of Jesus because his death ended the need for sacrifice, having provided a perfect and complete atonement. At one mint with God. No more do we have sacrifice because He was the ultimate sacrifice. So, if today, if a religion is out there sacrificing or says to you, you must sacrifice for you to have a, a closeness or a oneness, you must give this up, you must do this, you have to do, and tells you you have to work your way, you need to have faith in Jesus and, oh, they added the word and. Immediately right then, you know that is not true. Because it's it's based on faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not, and you must do this. That is not scriptural. It's not about a sacrifice. Jesus made that sacrifice for you. We are to believe. By faith. By faith alone in Christ alone. And you shall be saved. Amen? Are you tracking with me? All right, here we go. We're going to continue here. For since, verse 21 for since by man came death. By man, in your Bibles, it should be a capital M. Man being dignity, Jesus Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. So here Paul communicates the same ideas found in Romans chapter 5, verses 12, uh, 12 through 21, I think. 20, 20, 21, you can verify for me, but 21, I believe. Adam, by man, Adam, the first man, is the one, was the head of the human race. And all mankind was brought under the death by Adam, because Adam sinned and brought Sin into, into man. The second Adam, man, capital M, is Jesus Christ, is the other head of the human race. And Jesus brings resurrection to all that are under his headship, his lordship. So people who say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but you do not make him lord or under his headship, be aware because he resurrects those who you've put him head over your life. You've come, you surrendered all. You've been broken. You've said, God, you rule my life. You're master of my life. You're the Lord of Lords, kings of kings. Then you have the promise of resurrection. Because there is a difference between hearing and knowing of Jesus. Versus knowing Jesus, having one to know of Him versus having a relationship with Him, there's two different things there. So many people today go, "I, I, I I know Jesus. I know you probably know Him. Satan even knows Jesus." But do you have a personal relationship? Is He your Master and Lord over your life? That's the question. That relationship will save you. Just knowing of him doesn't save you. Ask Satan. Better yet, don't ask Satan. Don't even go near the man. Verse 22. For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be, be made alive. Here's the question for you. Does this mean everyone is resurrected? Yes or no? Yes. (laughs) Yes and no. Because if you go and you know the scriptures here, all will be resurrected in the sense that they will receive a resurrected body and live forever. That is truth. In John 5, 29, Jesus plainly spoke of both of two resurrections. The resurrection of life and the resurrection of condemnation so all are going to be resurrected all will be given a body for eternity but not all will receive the resurrection of life some will receive the resurrection of condemnation and will live forever in a resurrected body in hell that's why I tell people everyone's going to see jesus everyone so all everyone goes to heaven you're absolutely correct but not everyone stays and sees Jesus. Every knee will bow and every, knee will con- every tongue will confess. Absolutely. But if you did not believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as, 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 as the Son of God on this side of life, when you get there, you will bow your knee. You will know without a doubt in your mind, but you will receive a body that is designed to go to hell for the eternity because you chose not to believe in Jesus Christ on this side of the grave. That's truth. I'm giving you the scriptures. I hope you're taking notes so you can go back and meditate on these things. Because it's truth. But verse 23. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Afterward those who are Christ at his coming. It would be strange and inappropriate. For us to receive a resurrection before Jesus, so He receives resurrection first as the first fruits, and then He will receive it. We will receive it afterward, at His coming. What coming? When He returns and He raptures us out of here, and then when He returns, even during the time of millennium, the thousand-year reign, death takes place during that time. And then we were going to see that Paul's going to give us a hope and understanding is at the end of that thousand-year reign, God is going to, Jesus is going to wrap that all up and hand it to the Father in one nice little neat bow here. But some people will say, but what about Elijah in 1 Kings 17? What about Lazarus in John 11? What are them? They were resurrected. No, they weren't resurrected. They were resuscitated. There's a difference between being dead and being resuscitated and brought back to life versus a resurrected body. They were resuscitated back to life. They still had the same earthly body. They were just waiting to then die again. (laughs) They just had to die a second time. But Jesus and you and I as believers will be resurrected And when we have our new glorified bodies, we will be in heaven. Apart from the body, we'll be in the presence of the Lord, the scriptures say. See, resurrection isn't just living again. It is living again in a new body based on our old body, but perfectly suited for life in eternity. Jesus was not the first one is not the first one brought back from the dead, but he was the first one resurrected. Verse 24. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, I'll give you a reference. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul reveals God's eternal purpose in history. Eternal purpose. He says that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he, God, might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which, is, which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So Paul wrote of the gathering together of all things in Jesus or summing it all up. Everything was going to be all summed up around the life and the purpose of Jesus and all those things in him. In 1 Corinthians, we, he looks forward to that time. Paul is saying, look at the forward to that time when all things are resolved in Jesus Christ and he presents it all to God the Father, giving glory to God with all authority. That's the eternal plans. But for right now, God has granted or allowed a measure of rule, a measure of authority, a measure of power to men, to Satan, and even death. God has allowed them to have a certain amount of authority and rule and control. But it's not the plan for long-term eternity He's going to bring all of that under one man, and that is Christ Jesus. But all of that right now that we see today is temporary. Jesus will take his rightful place as the blessed and only ruler, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, 1 Timothy 6.15. And after the resurrection... God will finally resolve all of history according to his will. Because his will will be done regardless of how we feel and regardless of what we think. Verse 25, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Paul here refers to the thousand year reign of Jesus described in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Because after that time, there will be a final. J- Satan will uh, inspire a rebellion against those during that millennial reign. You go back and read that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10, in which Jesus will crush and finally and forever put all of his enemies under his feet, the scripture says. In verse 26, the last enemy. Ooh, who could be the last enemy? I thought Satan was the ultimate enemy. No, it's not. The last enemy is, will be, that will be destroyed is death itself. See, death will be present during the time of millennial, as we see in Revelation 29, in Isaiah 65, 20. But afterwards, Death will be abolished. It is truly the last enemy that will be destroyed. See, Paul reminds us that of something very important. That death is an enemy. It's something that's just terrible. It was never designed from the beginning of time. In the beginning of time, there was supposed to be eternity of life here on this earth that he created. But because sin, because of rebellious heart, that changed everything. That doesn't change His ultimate will it's just through time we're living through a time where he is going to bring it full circle right back to what his will will be death will be taken care of it will be taken and removed see remember jesus when he came to the tomb of lazarus lazarus had been dead and he'd been buried for uh for a little while he came there he and it says jesus groaned in the spirit and was troubled why why would Jesus be groaning and, and troubled in his spirit the fact that Jesus was resurrected? I mean, was, Jesus was uh, Lazarus was dead. Because he knew he was going to raise him, resu- uh, resuscitate him and bring him back to life. So why was he groaning and concerned? It's because Jesus was sitting there and going, death, I can't wait to get rid of this. this was, Lazarus was his friend. Oh, I just absolutely hate this death. And so he, resurre- he uh, resuscitated Lazarus back to life during that time. Today, some are told to embrace death as a friend. Do You ever heard that saying? Oh, death, embrace it as a friend. That is not biblical thinking. That is not scriptural. Death is an enemy. But death is, is a defeated enemy because of the work of Jesus Christ, an enemy that will be one day be destroyed. Therefore, an enemy will need not fear. We don't have to fear death because we know that we, once we leave this, this body, we'll be in the presence with our glorified body. The destruction of death was shown at the resurrection of Jesus. How did it show? When Jesus was resurrected from the dead after the three days, how did we know that death was conquered? Well, we see it in the scriptures. Go back and read today Matthew 27, verses 52 and 53. I'll give you the scripture today. He says, The graves were opened. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, dead, were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Imagine. Your loved one died, knowing and loving and putting their trust in Jesus. Jesus dies after three days; he's resurrected from the dead. Over five hundred saw him during those next two weeks. But your relative came back; they're resurrected and they're walking on the streets. And you're like, "Oh, Mary, how? Well, hello, what, what? Am I seeing a?" Jesus raised me from the dead. And they saw their loved ones in their glorified state, their glorified bodies. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me tremendous hope. Because I know this is true. This this body of mine is deteriorating daily and quickly, I assure you. But soon I'm going to have this body put back into perfect, perfect way, and it will be ready for eternity never to die and suffer pain again i put my hope in that not like our non believing friends who said oh live it up as we will see paul will say live it up you're just going to die who cares just do whatever you want to do with your body it doesn't matter you're just going to go buried anyway that's not true you have a faith that is not is not proven You have an empty faith. If you have a faith that believes you're just there's no, there's no heaven, there's no hell, and you're just gonna die and be buried. You have a faith that is empty and futile. Because you have no way to prove that. Did you realize you have no way? You're putting yourself on complete risk. Because I just showed you for the last several weeks eyewitnesses of the truth of a resurrected Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> so, I have proof. I don't live on an empty faith. I have a proven faith. You live on an unproven faith. And I am saddened for that because today, if, that's, if you live on an unproven faith, you think you're just going to die, no big deal. I want to assure you, right now God is knocking at the door of your heart and he says, let me in, let me show, let me reveal himself to you and give you the living hope that We see here in the scriptures. Verse twenty seven, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, is it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Paul reminds us that the Son will not someday be superior to the Father. The relationship of the Father to the Son will be eternal. The Son himself will also be subject to him, the Father. Well, that's an interesting question. Typically, the next step is those who deny the deity of Jesus says this verse proves their point. No, it doesn't. They take the submission of God the Son as proof that he must not be equal to the deity to God the Father. That's not true. The submission of Jesus to the Father doesn't come from an inherent inferiority. Instead, it comes from the administrative order of the Godhead. A son is always in submission to his Father, even if both are equal in substance. Is order, that's what is the difference. One God, the God of the Father, the God of the Son, the God of the Holy Spirit, one God. But ministratively, different functions, different roles and responsibility. That doesn't change when it comes to eternity. Simply, God the Father will always be God the Father, and God, and God the Son will always be God the Son, and for all eternity, they will continue to relate to each other as Father and Son. That is truth. Verse 28. Now when all things are made subject to him then the son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that god may be all in all. So here Paul refers to god the son's desire to glorify the god the father through all eternity. Each person of the trinity desires to glorify another person of the trinity. How do i know that? How do you know that? here i'm going to give you some more scriptures to go meditate on today the son glorifies the father john 17:4 the father glorifies the son john 17:5 the holy spirit glorifies the son john 16:14 these aspects of the nature of God, this is the nature of God, and you and I are not changing the nature of God. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So it doesn't matter what you think and feel and what other people or religious entities or religious high-fluting people. It only matters what the scriptures say, my brothers and sisters. I'm telling you, I have such joy every time I say this to you because I know our, our faith is Secure. I know our truth is solid, and it doesn't matter what anything in the media or what other famous book or another author wrote another book. I'm I'm telling you, stick to the 66 books. You will not go wrong, my brothers and sisters. (laughs) Yes, I'm a little riled up this morning. And go back to Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. The nature of God is something God wants us to walk in. Remember, he's changing our nature in the image of Christ. Why would you want any other image? Why would you want any other character or nature in your life? You're crazy if you want a different nature. You're, you're, you're not in your right mind. Come see me. We want coffee time with you. We've got to have coffee time. I want to sit down with scriptures with you. I want to show you love. I really do. Verse 29. Otherwise, now Paul's going to give you some more reasons to believe in the principles of the resurrection here. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead did not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? Now, I'm going to be very gentle here for our friends of the Mormon faith. Because they do some practice of being baptized for their dead loved ones. as somehow that they can help them. And it was a practice back then, and we see it in practice still today in that religion. And Paul warns them, even those who are around us, my brothers, and sisters, those out there outside the church who are practicing where they're being baptized for the dead, this, I mean, don't get me wrong. This this passage is very mysterious for many. I have seen probably thirty plus writings on what they believe this scripture means. But if you just plainly mean the plain meaning of the original language, and just keep it just very simple, that some people are being baptized on behalf of those who have died. That's what it really means. But Paul is even saying to these non-believers, those who believe and practice these things, if there is no resurrection, why are you even being baptized for the dead? It doesn't make sense. You must believe there's a resurrection or you wouldn't go be baptized. So this doesn't make logical sense here. Why would you even the non-believers be bat- being res- being baptized because they believe there's some, something to resurrection here? So why are the non-believers but now here you as believers are thinking your, our bodies are not going to be resurrected. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical, people. So Paul is really being gentle here in regards to that. And then verse 30, and why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. He says, wait a minute here. If I didn't believe and I didn't know this was for a fact true of the resurrection, do you think I would be putting my life, my physical life, at jeopardy every hour? Do you think I'd be going around sharing this good news, knowing that I'm going to possibly die at any moment? Does that even make sense to you? Remember, you remember the scriptures. Paul understood this. In Acts 23, verses 12 and 13, there were over 40 men who to, took a vow that they would not neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. With enemies like that, no wonder Paul would say, I die daily. <laughs> He wasn't really saying, I'm going to die to my flesh. Yes, we're supposed to die to our flesh. I'm not talking about dying spiritually. Yes, we're supposed to die from that perspective. But he was talking in the original language. If you look at the Greek language, he's talking about, I physically know I'm going to die every day I expect I'm going to die. Because I, I got people everywhere who want to take my life because I'm teaching about the resurrection. Do you think I'm going to do this if I didn't believe it without a doubt in my mind that this was true? No, of course not. Verse 32 If in the manner of men I have fought with beast of Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead did not rise, let us drink, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You know, that's how what most people do. Let's just eat and drink. Oh, this is good. We, just have, we, you know, we don't have to worry. This, this life ends when this body dies. Let's just eat and drink and live however we want to live. That's the world. That's how the world thinks. That's what Satan has convinced people. Paul is saying, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? You think I'm going to go in and, and, and fight beasts? Now, we don't know because it doesn't talk in the scriptures at all. At what point did Paul physically fight beasts? Was he thrown into arena like a lot of them? And he's sitting there and God gave him the physical power to overcome the beasts? And when he was in Ephesus? Or was he talking figuratively of the violent and wild humans out there who were savages looking to kill him either way it doesn't matter he was he was being hunted by animals who were like acting like animals because if you do not have the spirit of God eventually your spirit your soul will deteriorate to a point where you will behave like animals And that is a very sad state when you watch someone go spiraling down and their human nature becomes savagely, like a like an animal. But you have the good news and you can help them. You just need to share that good news, my brothers and sisters, to give them hope. Paul faced all kinds of things when it came to sharing the resurrection of Jesus of the, uh, the resurrection of the dead. Both Jesus' resurrection and the believer's resurrection, he shared it and he continued to share it and continued to share it all the way, even to the point where he, if you remember, Paul was arrested, imprisoned, and journeyed to Rome was all for the sake of the resurrection. Go back and read Acts 23, uh, Acts chapter 24, and you will see each time he said it. acts I'll give you more specifically, Acts 23, 6, Acts 24:15 and Acts 24:21. Go back and you'll see he went and went through all of that based on the fact that of the truth of the resurrection. Because if you don't believe it, you'll be just like the world. You will just be out there eating and drinking and being merry, you'll have kids, You'll raise them. You'll be out there just trying to, get, trying to get as much as you can of this world. Your bucket list will be filled up. You work your bucket list. You fit more in the bucket list. And you just work your life. And at the end, you go, what was the purpose of life? What did I achieve? I'm never, in being in the ICUs and taking care of a lot of very, very sick people and the moment of death, I never heard one person say, I wish I would have spent more time at the office. It's always I wish I would have done more with my life or I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have loved people more. That's what you hear when people are at the end and facing death. Death is an enemy. (coughs) But when you have life, when you meet someone who is a believer and they're at the end of their life, There is joy with great anticipation. There's so much peace and so much joy because they know they'll be in the arms of Jesus for eternity with their resurrected body, no more pain and no more suffering and no more tears. And that's why Paul ends it here in verse 33 and 34. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts. Good habits. <laughs> now, usually we have a lot more kids in here. A lot of them are traveling. But when mama says, hey, that's not good company. No, you can't hang out with those kids. No, you're not. Now, let me take it a little bit farther here, brother, my brothers and sisters, my moms and dads here. I'm going to take it even further. Who are your friends? Who are you associating with on Facebook? Who are you associating with through social media? Because evil company corrupts good habits. Yes, it is good to parent. You should be a parent. That means you make hard choices for kids until their age where they start making the hard choices on their own. You must, as a parent, as a grown-up, make Continue this process of making good choices of who you keep company with who you fellowship with because if those who you choose to be around can be good or could be evil it's very clear here I'm not I'm not you know I'm not this is not philosophy of Corey here this is what the scripture says because where did the Corinthian Christians go wrong they had the, the their strange, Where did they get the strange ideas that the resurrection was not true for us? Where did it come from? It certainly didn't come from Paul. It certainly didn't come from the scriptures. It came from the culture swaying them. That Greek culture and that Jewish, those Sadducees were influencing them and corrupting their truth. So you must be careful of what gets pumped into this computer of yours and mine, because what is pumped in will eventually hit the heart, your inner person, who you are, and that was what then what comes out of the mouth and in your actions. And we don't have to say a thing. I can tell who you've been hanging with. I can see the fruit, just by who, and I can trace that back. Who are you been hanging with? It's not hard. It's very simple when you understand. And that's why in Romans 12 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And by keeping evil company, the Corinthians, Christians, were being conformed to this world. They needed to be transformed by renewing of their minds. That's what Paul is doing here. Be careful of the books you read. Be careful of what you're reading on the internet. Do you realize everything on the internet is not true? You must have a biblical, put the biblical glasses on and say, does that line up with the scriptures? No. Delete. Immediate obedience, delete, move on, don't meditate on it. Oh, I better warn all my brothers and sisters, don't spread the evil, okay? It's a cancer, cut it out, don't mess with it, radiate that sucker. Because if you don't, it's going to keep there and it will come creeping back in. Now don't get me wrong. If you have non-believers, and I know I'm going to go over time because I'm I'm in the preaching mode here now. If you have some non-believers, especially friends and family, if you have an influence as salt, and you're being a light, and you're having influence over them, you just keep going. Just keep going. And keep praying that God... The Holy Spirit will touch their hearts because they need to be saved because you love them so dearly. But if they're influencing you, for the sake of your soul, cut them off. As hard as it is, you must cut them off. You limit the amount of time. You don't allow them, especially with your children, because the enemy loves to take off the little little lambs. So protect them. Don't overprotect them. Don't get me wrong. They need to see what's going on in life. They need to learn. Just be there to help them understand the scripture in line with that. Right? Amen? Verse 34. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. I speak this as he's as they're as he really kind of highlighting here I speak this to humiliation I humbly just awake my brothers and sisters he's saying awake wake up you're in a stupor you're 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 in a you're in a foggy state wake up to the righteousness right, right what is right and do not sin because what's happening is there were some for Christians to resist God's process of transformation of their life. If you resist what God's trying to do in the renewing of your mind is neglecting God, the knowledge of God and it will be, and I'm just, all of hum, 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 uh, it's the shame, the humiliation that will come upon you is just not worth it. Just humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he will what? Lift you up. Father, we thank you. And we praise you for your word this morning. Lord. We thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for the conviction that you have made in our hearts. Thank you for the, the, the encouragement in our hearts today. Thank you for exhorting us and lifting us up. But also, Lord, not allowing us to live in the state that we found ourselves coming into this place, Lord. You bring us to a point of repentance where we need to repent and to be reminded of your forgiveness. And Lord, as we come to your table today, we are reminded of your forgiveness. We're reminded of the sacrifice you've made in our place. You paid the ransom. You have taken us and set us free from our jail of sin. And have set us free to be able to live a life that is so pleasing to you if we choose to live that life. With a great anticipation of our resurrected bodies in the presence of you, where you will just wrap us in your arms for eternity. And we thank you for that hope and that promise. And as we come to the table, Lord, just may you be pleased. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Can I have the men of the communion board, Pastor Rich and Jared, if you could come up, please. If you've never been with us during time of communion, uh, let me remind you that uh, if you don't know or if you're not sure, this is family time. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your family. Partake. We do not do membership here. We don't see it scriptural. If you're a child of God, and God says, this is where you, you're a child of God. We want you to partake <laughs> as a family. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, you're not a believer. It's okay. Don't don't take this because there's harsher judgment that will come upon you by God for taking it. So for your sake, I love you. But, while we're handing it out and we're singing, the Lord is knocking at the door of your heart, which I know he is. Just open up your life to him. Accept him as your Lord and Savior during this time. You're then saved. That means you can partake, and we want to rejoice in that. So just let us know if that if the Lord did that in your heart while we do this, all right? Amen? All right. See in the Scripture, it's in the upper room. Jesus with his disciples having that the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, and as they gather together and they're having that meal. In the very beginning, we see that when Jesus had given thanks, he broke it, the bread. And said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We take communion to remember what Jesus did for you. That's why we come to the table. We need to be reminded. Because many times we forget because in the hustle and bustle of life... The pressures, the cares of this world, the the situations, the the near death experience, the births that are happening, we can get so wrapped up that we forget why we have a life. So we come to the table, not out of ritual, not out of a religious check mark. Oh, we did. I didn't. I didn't take communion. Oh no. I Got it. Am I saved? I didn't take communion. No, no, see, that's religion. You have to go beyond that, my brothers and sisters. This is about a relationship. Well, I didn't do it in church. You don't have to do it in church. We do it because we're, there's a oneness that comes together. Brothers. But I want you men to do a communion with your family around your table in your house. If you see things going astray in your house and there seem to be division, things, come to the table and have communion. You're the priest of your house. Have communion with your family to bring them back to the table to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for them. It solves marriage problems. (laughs) It really does because you must come to the table with forgiveness because you have to remember you were first forgiven. And we do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. But it hasn't happened yet. What he did how, What do you mean, remembrance of you? Of course we remember you. We remember the fact that we're having this meal. No. You're, they didn't understand that he was going to the cross. And then they would understand. Now, did he break off a thumb? Split it? Hand it to it? This is my body? No, he was intact. The cracker is not his real physical body. It's a cracker, okay? Just want to make sure we're clear with that. Just in case, I know my brother's sister, brother, sisters come with a different view, but the scripture is clear. It's bread, unleavened bread, just like they would have had, and it was broken. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant. New covenant. So there's a change taking place here. In my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you preach the Lord's death till he comes. That's what we're tasked, that's our mission. Just keep preaching, proclaiming the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's what's going to give you the hope. That's what's going to give you the power in sustain and keeping forward, watching Him. Remember, we're supposed to follow Him. Remembering to follow Him is important in our daily walk as a child of God. And so now we come to the table. We come into His presence. We leave all the junk that we've done, everything that we've struggled with in the flesh, in this world, we lay it at His feet, he's a big God he'll take care of it for you yes moms yes women you don't have to clean up after Jesus everyone when you lay it there you don't have to go pick up your dirty clothes lay them at the feet he gives you he he wraps you in his righteousness clean clothes you know that remember remember that right so you don't have to clean it up you can't do anything just lay it there put the past to the past And just remember what he's given a new life, a righteous life. And we will have a resurrected body and we'll be in his presence, in his timing, by his way. Amen. Father, we're going to thank you that we can come to you, come to the table, sit in your presence, and just thank you. And be reminded of the... of the penalty, the ransom you paid for us so that we would not have to pay it because you love us that much. You even paid it when we wanted nothing to do with you. And like Paul, he was persecuting your people. But you still died for Paul. And you presented yourself in front of Paul and it changed his life. And we're thankful and reminding us that you too came into our lives and changed us, regenerated us, now saved us and you're working and you started a good work in us and you're faithful to complete that work right into your presence when we receive our glorified bodies we thank you and we praise you that is what we put our hope into today not a new government not a new program not in reaching our health goals our financial goals, our bank accounts, we put and remember you because that's who we put our trust and hope in for eternity. We thank you for that. We praise and glorify this day and every day. We thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Please partake. Thank you, Jesus. Please stand. Pass your cups to the middle. The usher will come down through the middle. Pick up your cups from you. May the Lord bless you, keep you. Let his face shine down upon you. By his grace sustain you to do a good work that he has for you to do and if you don't know what that good work or works are then just be patient be still he is going to reveal that to you in due time but be ready in season and out of season you're equipped to go out and to continue to share the good news with those you love and strangers you've never met Just allow the Spirit of God to empower you who lives inside you to do that work and watch what He can do through your life. Many brothers deployed. Keep uh, Mike in your prayers. Walter, who just deployed out here a couple of days ago, and many others that are ready to be preparing to be deployed continue to be in the prayers. And if you need any prayer requests or any prayer needs, come see me. Anyone who's sick says, come see the elders. We will anoint you with oil, lay hands on you, pray for you. Anyone here is sick, we want you healed today. Let's go by faith. Step of faith and see what the Lord's going to do. And if anyone else needs prayer, just turn to your right. My brothers and sisters want to pray for you. You don't see me. You just find someone. Well, they want to pray for you because they love you. They're your sister. You're your brother. Amen? Soon and very soon, we are going to see our king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see our king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see our king. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see our king. God bless you. I love you all.